0: horse fans and hello mystery fans bad news final show of this season episode eight i'm sorry to say but or maybe i'm happy to say take a break from all this editing oh so much work anyhow dear Mm
1: -hmm.
0: my name is david dedrick
1: my name is lisa Williamson.
0: i'm glad we got to that what's this episode called shocking shocking and you you kind of gave us a forewarning last time that this episode would, would not be to my liking but <laughs> Speak up. Okay, sorry. And so before we get to that though, in order to stave off the inevitable, let's talk a little horse bits. And today we're gonna talk about what are we gonna talk about today? Let's talk about the horse's gizzard. No is joking. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about well, kind of in that in that way, let's talk a little bit about the horse's stomach.
1: Okay. The horse's stomach is quite small compared to other farm animals. It's the second smallest. After? After, I think it's either. I think it's sheep. Sheep have a smaller stomach than okay. like a sheep or goat. Um, well, then, I feel like
0: if goats are eating tires and tin cans and things like that, that they should have a, like a huge stomach.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think it's sheep. So yeah, so I think sheep have the smallest, and then horses, and then of course have, cows have four stomachs. So, uh, but horses mm. only have one. Um... Cows are such
0: pigs. Yeah, Actually, they're not. Pigs are pigs. Mm -hmm. Cows are cows. I shouldn't have said that. It's the wrong way to defer to animals Mm -hmm. in animal terms.
1: (laughs) So the horse's stomach is about the size if you want to picture a, um, like a football. Okay. That's about... That's tiny. It is small. Compared
0: to the size of a horse. Yeah,
1: yeah. When you think about how big our stomach is comparative to our body. Yeah, the horse has a very small stomach. Especially me. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) the the food when it goes into the stomach only stays in the stomach for about 15 to 20 minutes before it moves on to the next section, which is the wow. small intestine.
0: Wow. And so I assume that with that kind of brevity, that it would be bad if the food stayed longer, like if it started staying longer in the stomach?
1: Yeah, there's, there's, Um, we talked a little before about colic. Mm. And colic is just a general name for stomach ache in a horse. But when we say stomach ache, we're talking about abdominal pain. Um, it's not just the stomach okay. that is affected. And actually more frequently, it is the either the smaller, the large intestine that is affected. But there are particular kinds of colics that can affect the stomach. And uh, one of them would be what's called sand colic. And that's when a horse drinks from either like a sandy bottom stream or eats its hay or whatever out of a Paddock that has a sand base or mm-hmm. a field that has a sand base and ingests sand, yeah, accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. And it will accumulate firstly in the stomach. It can also accumulate in the intestinal tract as well, but that can cause colic from the stomach. And then obviously, like a perforation or something like that. Mm-hmm. So if something bad gets in there, then they can have like a gas thing that happens. But generally, the one of the biggest problems we're having with the horse's stomach nowadays is ulcers because the horse's stomach, like I said, it's about the size of a football, but it kind of more the shape of say a purse, perhaps one of those kind of rounded 1970s purses. And Mm. it's got a coating on it, a mucus coating that only extends two thirds of the way up. So it's the bottom two thirds are, are coated with this mucus and the mucus is to protect from the hydrochloric acid that's in the stomach that digests the food because we've had mechanical digestion happening with the teeth grinding the food up and then we get some um, saliva and other things that are added up in the mouth and so chemical digestion starts but then it basically finishes up in the stomach. There's some very strong acids in the stomach that dissolve whatever slurry has arrived down there And one of the rules of feeding, actually rule number one of feeding is feed little and often. You're only supposed to feed small amounts at a time. Uh, If you feed too much, then what will happen is the entire stomach can get filled up. And then we have the acids and foods that have been exposed to the acids in that area of the stomach that aren't covered by this mucus coating. And that's where horses end up getting ulcers. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: They're under a lot of stress at, at work.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the stomach is, is something that, you know, if we think of our own body, you know, we tend to talk about our stomach. But, yeah, usually we're referring mainly to the abdomen. And it's the same thing with mm. the horse. Mm. So the stomach is a very small thing in the horse's body. And it's not where the food stays for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. When it's getting digested in the small intestine, it's usually about two hours there and... You know, that's where s- some digestion occurs, but mainly absorption occurs. Very little absorption occurs in the stomach.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's the second time that you've made like a 70s reference to the shape of a horse's. because uh, when we were talking about the spleen, you compared it to a macrame owl. So.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, so let's uh, let's go on to the main the main uh, main part of the show here. This is uh, this is
1: shocking. Shocking. All right, yeah.
0: so if you want to start, I will listen.
1: Okay, so for the, a change, um, yeah. Place is Gainesville, Florida, which mm. is in the United States. Yeah,
0: that's where uh, Tom Petty's from.
1: Oh, is it? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, the Heartbreakers okay. and Tom Petty. yeah. And
1: then the. Date- Do you know what their
0: name was when they started? No. Mud Crutch. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I wonder, wonder why they changed it. Uh,
1: uh, so the date was February 2nd, 1991. So what were you doing February 2nd, 1991?
0: February 2nd, 1991?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, well, that was, of course, my birthday month. So it was the month of celebrating my birthday. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what I was doing in 1991.
1: I think you were waiting to go back into the hospital. Was I? Yeah.
0: So was that after my first stomach operation?
1: Mm-hmm. I was, yeah, just before you're going. We had just fin- finished chemo. and ready to go in for oh, your okay. second yeah, one. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So I think you're in, like, over your birthday? Or not over... Over um, Valentine's Day, yeah.
0: That's when I went to the... Went yeah. back in mm-hmm. from our operation? Yeah. Valentine's Day? Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. What timing they had.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. So, back to the show. So, the incident that happened was... Uh, picture this. So, we have a convoy of vehicles that had earlier left Chicago. Oh, Chicago. Oh, no. Remember? We are bookending... <laughs> Story number one was the Chicago story, mm-hmm. and then, yeah. So we just really started
0: of, with the candy lady who uh, disappeared. Right. And this time.
1: Yeah. So now we have a bunch of people who have just left Chicago, and they're heading for horse show grounds on West Palm Beach. And so included in the convoy was a truck pulling a large horse trailer and a red pickup truck with Dana Trip DVM painted on the side. Hmm. So the convoy stops.
0: Doctor of Veterinary Medicine. And,
1: correct. Yeah. So the convoy stops in Gainesville, Florida at Canterbury Farms, which is a showground. So after unloading the horses, two men from the convoy, one a heavyset Caucasian and the other a 20 something black man, they go to a nearby bar. So the Caucasian, whose name is Tommy Burns, proceeds to get drunk on gin and tonics and the two have a discussion and then return to the equine facility. So it's raining, and it's now 10.10 p.m. The two men load three horses into the trailer and bring out a fourth, which is a chestnut with four white socks. So Burns holds the chestnut near the trailer, apparently waiting to load. The other man, whose name is Arlie Harlow, then picks up a crowbar and, swinging it like a baseball bat, strikes the horse hard in the right hind cannon bone. The horse screams and goes down. It then scrambles back on its feet and runs off on three legs. The two men catch the horse, call the facility manager to alert her that a horse has been hurt while loading. (laughs) She calls a local vet who comes immediately and checks the horse. A call is made to the insurance company and the horse is is euthanized by the vet. Burns and Harlow then enter the cab of the truck and drive off back en route for their original destination of West Palm Beach. Two miles down the road, on Route 26, the vehicle is suddenly surrounded by government vehicles. They seem to come out of nowhere, even from dirt side roads, and they overwhelm the tow vehicle. The two men driving the truck and trailer get out and attempt to flee. Both are quickly caught, cuffed, and put back put back in the vehicle. Uh, they have shotguns pointed at them. Hmm. So, in the men's vehicle, authorities also find a crowbar as well as wires and alligator clips.
0: Oh, so, mm-hmm. so they're electrocuting the horses?
1: Maybe. <laughs> okay, so the investigation. So, unbeknownst to Burns and Harlow, from the time they had crossed the border into Florida, they had been under surveillance by the authorities. So, in a joint operation, the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services officials are running surveillance along with the FBI on Tommy Burns. So, the investigation was a side investigation that sprung up from an an investigation into the disappearance of Chicago candy heiress Helen Brock. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So remember, they had that RICO thing that happened Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's how they were able to get them because they were they found some side things that had happened and decided there was a whole group of people. So I think for the RICO statute to be enacted, they had to have a group of people that were doing criminal acts that had been going on for a prolonged period of time.
0: Um, I think it had to be interstate as well.
1: Yes. So here we are. So Helen Brock was presumed killed after getting fleeced by a gang of horsemen in the Chicago area who were selling worthless horses to lonely women for inflated prices. Hmm. And then when the clients would get suspicious, sometimes the women would be threatened and sometimes the horses turned up dead. The investigations into the disappearance of Brock opened up a festering sore in what had previously been seen as the high class horse show scene. So in the incident in Florida, where the horse, later identified as a seven year old jumper gelding called Streetwise, was being injured, agents were on scene and were already stationed around the showground. Florida Department of Agriculture agent Harold Barry is lying prone on the roof of a rusty horse trailer when Streetwise is hit only a hundred feet away from him. Unfortunately, everything happened so quickly that Barry and the other agents are unable to intervene. But so Burns and Harlow are taken to the police station. Groom Chad Sondell, who was present at the barn at the time of the incident and had helped the two men load the horses, is interviewed and tells authorities that Burns and Harlow were paid five thousand dollars to kill Streetwise. Harlow quickly confirms this information, tells the authorities that Burns has been contracted to eliminate the horse, and admits that while at the barn or the bar, Burns had expressed expressed reluctance to injure the horse using the crowbar. So Harlow had been subcontracted to do the job for half of Burns take. Burns spends the next three weeks in the Alachua County jail and is ultimately released for a hundred thousand dollar bail. He immediately returns to Chicago and commences cooperation with the authorities. Hmm. So Tommy Burns, 30 at the time of this, works as a groom in Hunter Jumper Show barns. So part of his job involves transporting horses to shows around the country. Burns had grown up in Connecticut, but his parents divorced and Burns ran away from home at 15. He found employment in stables and by 16 was working for trainer Barney Ward at his Castle Hill farm in Brewster, New York. Burns was working for Ward in 1978 and Ward, by all accounts, took Burns under his wing and treated him like a son. Through him, Burns was able to travel and meet trainers and owners around the country. By 1982, Burns is working at Eagle Nest Farms in Florida for wealthy lawyer James Drucker, and at the time of his arrest, was working out of Chicago. In fact, it is Burns' former employee, Barney Ward, who steps in to put up the $100,000 bail after Burns' arrest. Well. Ward also pays for an attorney for Burns and helps him to pay off a bank loan. Well, mm-hmm. generous.
0: Yeah, it seems. Or maybe you're trying to cover up.
1: We will have to see.
0: <laughs> a lot of foreshadowing in this episode. Mm-hmm.
1: So Burns sat in jail for three weeks, and although his former employer, Barney Ward, had stepped in to support him during this time, Burns felt betrayed by others he had worked for. Burns frequently referred to Ward as a father figure, but this did not stop Burns from talking to the authorities. Meanwhile, Harlow is also confessing. Hmm. So the authorities were delighted with this development. This case had been under investigation for more than a decade, but the horse show crowd is a close-knit, tight-lipped community when it comes to outsiders. Burns tells authorities he had been in the business of killing horses on contract for a decade. He was originally taught his craft by James Druck. I think I said Drucker before, but it's Druck. Uh, The lawyer who owned Eagle Nest Farms in Florida. Druck's specialty was representing insurance companies to defend them from claims. Due to the nature of his work, Druck was well aware that if a horse is electrocuted, it is very difficult for a veterinary pathologist to detect any signs of foul play. So Druck instructed Burns step by step, how to kill a horse by attaching alligator clips to wires, then attach the clips to either the horse's nostril or ears or the anus. The wires are then plugged into a socket. The death, according to Druck, was virtually painless and instantaneous. So Druck's interest in this venture was that he was cash poor because of an impending divorce, and he wanted to get rid of the horse ridden by his 17-year-old daughter, Lisa, the horse, Henry the Hawk, was up for sale for $150,000, but the closest offer Druck had received was $125,000. Druck led Burns through the process of dispatching the horse and successfully filed an insurance claim for $150,000. No suspicions were ever raised and the payout was made. Druck's tutelage started Burns on a 10-year career of contract killings. Druck even purchased the kit that Burns used to pursue his new business venture. Burns spent the next decade traveling the hunter-jumper show circuit, visiting barns and showgrounds alike to avoid raising suspicion about repeat customers. His payments varied typically from $5,000 to $40,000 per horse, depending upon the horse's value. The price arrived at was usually in the neighborhood of 10% of the anticipated insurance payout. So Burns started naming names. The first name he gave them was Donna Brown, who is wife of Olympian Buddy Brown. Donna Donna was the owner of Streetwise and had contacted Burns about killing Streetwise, a former jumper known, a jumper known formerly as Inniskeep, whom she had bought from a legendary horsewoman called Sally Sexton. I think we talked about Sally Sexton before, probably with these Chicago people. Yeah, yeah I think she
0: think she was in one, the first time we were talking about the, the uh, whatever their name was, those people.
1: Mm-hmm. The, guy oh.
0: mur- the guy who murdered the guy murdered his brother.
1: Yes, yeah, because yeah, she started a big the thing. The I genes. think in the 1960s about stopping horses from being drugged at shows, mm. so bringing in, yeah, drug testing and so there were supposed to be people very mad at her and trying to kill her, etc. But mm. yeah, obviously she was successful because there is drug testing now. So, that's who originally had the horse Sally Sexton. So since Streetwide had colicked in the past, he was not insured against this ailment, and so Donna Brown had specifically requested that the horse's leg be broken in an accident, in quotation marks. Hmm. Another of the names that Burns gave authority was Paul Valliere, prominent trainer at Acres Wild Farm in Rhode Island, and former boss of Donna Brown's husband, Buddy Brown. The authorities approached Valliere and convinced him to cooperate for the next year, Valier wore a wire and gathered evidence against his friends and business associates. Valier was not just a colleague, but also a close friend of Rhode Island-born Barney Ward. Hmm. The two went way back. The FBI was able to let Burns hear a recording of Ward telling Valier that he was going to have Burns killed to prevent him from testifying. Burns soon informed the authorities that Ward had ordered at least 15 different horses killed and had, in fact, been the person who introduced Burns to most of his clients. One of the other introductions Ward had made to Burns was to Marion Hulick, trainer and manager of Cellular Farms in New York. Cellular Farms was owned by the Lindemann family, who had made their fortune in the cell phone business. George Lindemann Sr. was worth around $700 and funded his son George Jr. in his unsuccessful bid, to be the first U.S. rider to be named to both the Olympic dressage and the Olympic show jumping teams in the same year. Hmm. So according to Burns, on December 13, 1990, Ward, who by this time had already used Burns to get rid of 14 horses for both himself and various clients, called Burns to tell him to come to New York as there was a lot of money to be made. Burns booked a flight to New York using Ward's travel agent, then drove towards Castle Hill Farm, where he called Cellular Farm and spoke to manager Marion Hulick. An employee of Ward's then drove Burns to Cellular Farm, where he met Hulick in her apartment. She gave him a tour of the barn and indicated the horse she wanted killed. She also showed him where to access, access the property and ensured no one was on the premises that night. Burns was able to kill a horse called Charisma, and his owner, multi-millionaire, Olympic hopeful George Lindeman Jr., who was out of the country at the time of the killing, collected $250,000 in insurance.
0: And they only had $700 million mm-hmm. in killing horses. Yeah,
1: I know. So ridiculous. Well, that other guy, that drunk, he killed the horse because the asking price or the selling price that he was given was like 25000 less. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it was a difference of $25,000. Yeah, yeah. Whatever people. So to point out how small the elite horse world is, it's interesting to know that Marion Hulick's husband, James, was a person who had originally sold Henry the Hawk to James Druck a decade ago. <laughs> as further proof to authorities, Burns was also able to show records of payment for his services. Many individuals had paid via personal check or had given <laughs> him cashier's <laughs> checks from the bank as they would for any other service.
0: Oh, man. I know. I wonder if they made a little note in the memo section. Course <laughs> killed.
1: Yeah. <sighs> I shouldn't laugh. It's sad. <laughs> uh, so, in addition to prominent trainers and owners, Burns also named some veterinarians who were complicit complicit in various ways with the scheme. So, Dr. Dana Tripp had made the introduction between Burns and Donna Brown and was traveling with them during the time of the killing of Streetwise. Another vet, Dr. Ross Hsuji, was likewise involved in the racketeering taking place in Chicago's stables and ultimately cooperated with the authorities. He pleaded guilty and continued to practice up until recently. Wow. On March 4th, 19... no one
0: used it. I guess people did use the services. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why would you want a murderer to be looking after your horses, though?
1: No, I know uh, I was reading something on the Internet, and people were making comments (laughs) because I was just looking him up. Yeah. This one person said, oh, we used to drive down the road past his offices. And my mom always said, oh, never take you know the dog there. He's a murderer.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, yeah, still practicing. So, yeah. yeah. Ridiculous. So, on March 4th, 1992, FBI Special Agent Peter Cullen phones Barney Ward at Brewster, New York to inform him that the U.S. Attorney's Office for Northern District of Illinois were investigating an alleged scheme involving the deliberate killing of horses in order to defraud insurance companies. Cullen informs Ward that Burns was arrested on February 1991 for killing the horse streetwise. Cullen then asks Ward questions about Burns, which Ward answers. Ward later claimed that Cullen told him at that time he was not the target of the investigation. Ward continued to claim innocence in any exchange with the authorities. Hmm. On February 16, 1994, AUSA Miller, Special Agent Cullen, and four other FBI agents show up at a trailer camp in Florida, where Ward is staying during the horse show season. Miller then informs Ward he is officially under investigation. (laughs) the FBI looked into insurance crimes over a 20-year period and indicted 36 people. 20 of the 23 were indicted in Chicago alone and pleaded guilty. The investigation turned up additional crimes that had been committed, but not related to insurance fraud, for which individuals were eventually charged. Jane F. Clark, so I think we uh, heard of her before when we were Doing the Jimmy Williams one. Okay. Yeah. So she's president of the American Horse Show Association. Seeks a lifetime ban for many of the participants. Eventually, 13 owners and trainers are expelled after a lengthy and expensive court battle. (laughs) So Barney Ward, who is 50 at the time, um, is believed to have arranged the killing of at least 15 horses and is charged with mail and wire fraud, obstruction of justice, threatening a witness, and conspiracy. In 1996, he pleads guilty to conspiracy to kill four horses, Charisma, Condino, Rub the Lamp, and Rousseau-Plater, and also charged with wire fraud. Ward is ultimately sentenced to 33 months with an additional three years probation. He is ordered to pay restitution of $200,000 to one of the defrauded insurance companies. He receives a lifetime suspension from the American Horse Show Association. George Lindeman Jr., who is 30, is charged with wire fraud for arranging the death of Charisma and then claiming $250,000 in insurance money. In 1995, he is convicted of three counts of wire fraud, for which he is sentenced to 33 months in prison, followed by two years of probation. He is fined $500,000 and ordered to pay $250,000 in restitution to the insurance company. He receives a lifetime ban from the American Horseshoe Association and files a $100 million antitrust suit against the American Horseshoe Association. <laughs> he loses this suit when it goes to court.
0: going to say that's his bullying.
1: Yeah. Marianne Heulich, who was 60 at the time, is charged with wire fraud for helping to organize the death of George Lindemann Jr.'s charisma. She receives a 21 month sentence and serves six months in federal prison. She also receives a lifetime ban from the American Horseshoe Association. Paul Valier, 43 at the time, is charged with conspiracy. As he turns state's evidence, he is sentenced to just four years probation and has to pay a $5,000 fine. He receives a lifetime ban from the American Horseshoe Association. And in 2006, attempted unsuccessfully to regain reinstatement into the American Horseshoe Association slash U.S. Equestrian Federation, which is the name it goes by now. Mm -hmm. He continues to train and coach privately at his facility in Florida. So I read about that as well. I guess he's bought property right next door to Wellington. Like one fence separates the showgrounds to his place. And although he's banned from the showgrounds, people still train with him. And so Mm -hmm. then he just sends them, you know, around the corner to the show. So yeah, people are saying like, Obviously, the people that train with him don't seem to think that, yeah, that's a bad thing.
0: They're fine with murder if they're winning with their horses, mm-hmm. I guess.
1: So Donna Brown, 37 at the time, and the owner of Streetwise, is charged with wire fraud and is convicted. She asked the judge for leniency, claiming that she just wanted to look after her then seven-year-old daughter. <laughs> she was sentenced to seven months in federal prison. She receives a ban from the American Horseshoe Association. She is now divorced from Olympian Buddy Brown. So Tommy Burns is so charged... So this,
0: this is the second. Yeah. So do you think that Brown Buddy Brown knew what she was doing?
1: I don't know. Do uh, you think
0: that's what precipitated the divorce or was it just it, Yeah, other
1: I Yeah, I think they probably got divorced because of her involvement in mm-hmm. that thing. Yeah, it's hard to know. Like, I remember seeing pictures of him because he's uh, that... George Morris book that I have that I got him to sign. Mm -hmm. He's got pictures of his old students and Buddy Brown is one of them. He had a horse called Sands Ablaze, who he rode as a junior. And then that's the same horse that he rode in the Olympics years later. And so when I found out that it was his wife, I was like, oh, so disappointing. But yeah, it sounds like, who knows, maybe... Maybe he just wanted to distance himself. Maybe he didn't know anything about it. Yeah, it's hard to say. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've never seen anything about his name being connected to this. Yeah, yeah. So Tommy Brown, who, of course, was the guy that was doing all this stuff, is charged with conspiracy, and he receives a lifetime ban. Sorry, wait, Tommy... Burns. Did I say Brown? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Tommy Brown. Tommy Burns. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Um, So he receives a lifetime ban from the American Horse Show Association. So, I mean, he was just a groom and a shipper, so, wasn't like he couldn't go off and get some other kind of job, whereas all these other people, I mean, that's been their.
0: That's their bread and butter, yeah. 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 But it's interesting, like, it is, I mean, the, one of the problems there is the economic, economic disparity between what Burns would have been making as a groom and mm-hmm. what other people are making as trainers or mm-hmm. the people who are riding the horses. Right. You know, and so you're part of this world where there's all this money flowing around and none of it's going towards you. And mm-hmm. so, obviously, it's very tempting to. To go down this road.
1: Oh, for sure. Because yeah. you
0: think part of it would be like the, the love of horses, which draws you to it, but mm-hmm. you know, obviously the love of money yeah,
1: trumps the love of horses. That. Yeah, <laughs> It's crazy. Yeah, a lot of desperation, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, and so Harlow Arley confesses and he serves 18 months. Okay. Um, so, another person, Nancy Banfield, who was 36 at the time, is charged with conspiracy and receives a 10 year ban from the American Horse Show Association. Another person, Robert Brown, is charged with racketeering, mail and wire fraud. Jerry Farmer, 61, is charged with racketeering and impeding the IRS. So one of the people that was in one of our previous crimes, I think when um, that guy killed his brother. The Janes. Yes, the Janes. Uh, One of the people involved in that was a farmer. Okay. Yeah. Ross Huji, DVM, who was 50 at the time, is charged with wire fraud and pleads guilty. Among other things, he has been present when the horse called Jatomic Streaker was killed, when his trainer caused him to flip out of a trailer, and he then finished him off with a hammer. Huji then falsified the horse's death record. Dana Tripp, who was 34 at the time. 34. Aside from the fact that, you know, like, she would have just got out of vet school probably only... What, six years before that? Eight years before that? Not much, you know. Supposed to go to vet school because you love animals. You're trying to help them. But yeah. 34 years old, charged with failure to file tax returns, conspiracy, and concealing a felony, and ultimately pleads guilty to three counts involving insurance fraud over the exporting of horses with falsified documents. She was placed under house arrest due to her pregnancy. She had her license to practice revoked by the overseeing veterinary body, as it was proven that she knew of the plot to kill Streetwise, but did not report it. So many others also charged in this scheme. Um, Johnny I, Youngblood. I guess, it's,
0: I guess it's step by step that you end up in these things, too, because at first you are they're like, well, just give us a hand bringing these horses in or doing this little tricky thing we're going to do and we'll give you some money, mm-hmm. out, you know. So you're like, oh, I'll do that. And then next thing you know, they're like, well, we need you to do this. Yeah. You're like, well, I don't know about that. Well, you did help us with such yeah. and such. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah it's, a, it's a slippery slope. Into yeah. The,
1: and I think that's probably, you know, looking back at the Janes, I think that's sort of how they operated. And it's I a th- typical,
0: it's a typical criminal, yeah. like
1: anyone organized crime mentality sort of, yeah. is to
0: slowly draw you in mm-hmm. until you're stuck in the mud.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, other people involved were the Johnny Youngblood, was a female, um, 34, was charged with mail fraud for her role in the death of Empire. So she served as a lookout and created false colic symptoms. She pleaded guilty and received a ban from the American Horse Show Association. Steve Williamson, no relation, age 51, is charged with mail fraud for his role in the death of Empire. So it's not your
0: cousin, Steve, who I've met many times, Steve Williamson. No,
1: no different uh he he,
0: one who can't work around horses (laughs) it's not that steve it's weird that the same same name similar circumstances (laughs)
1: no uh so he pleaded guilty and received a ban from the american horse show association tammy gillespie 36 is charged with mail fraud for hiring burns to kill her horse belgian waffle and then trying to claim the insurance money so she receives a ban from the american horse show association
0: was it just the name was that why she wanted to kill that horse Mm -hmm.
1: I love that name. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's, um, so it is James, a good name. Yeah. James Hudson, 53 at the time, is charged with mail fraud for helping to arrange the death of the horse Belgian waffle. So he receives a ban from the American Horse so, Show so Association. Alan Levinson. No
0: horse could live up to that name, though. No.
1: 52 is charged with mail fraud for his role in organizing the death of his daughter's horse, Rain Man, and then claiming the insurance money. He pleads guilty. Hmm. He is sentenced to 12 months in prison. Uh, He had asked for 12 months plus one day so that he could be eligible for an earlier release, but was denied. (laughs) Apparently, that's the rule. If it's under a year, then you have to serve your whole time. But if it's over a year, then you can ask for a reduced sentence. Yeah, yeah. But they were on to him. So Michael Hunter, 45, is charged with mail fraud for his role in organizing the death of the Horace, Emily's Choice, and then claiming the insurance money. He pleads guilty. He receives a ban from the American Horse Show Association. Donna Hunter, 43, is charged with wire fraud in her role in organizing the death of the horse, Emily's Choice, and then claiming the insurance money. She received a ban from the American Horse Show Association. Scott Thompson is charged with conspiracy in his role in assisting in the killing of Rub the Lamp. Phil Sudikoff, 76, is charged with mail fraud for attempting to contract for the death of the trotter, Instant Little Man, and the subsequent application for insurance money. So fortunately, the horse had not been killed. Herb,
0: Wait, he'd already made an application for insurance money yeah, before the horse so was he killed?
1: Filled, yeah, I guess he was maybe the next appointment. and I so Yeah. He yeah, filled out the forms already. and
0: everything. Oh my God. Yeah. So callous.
1: I know. So Herb Conninger, 53 at the time, was charged for mail fraud. Rob Mueller, 62 at the time, is charged for lying to a federal police officer. Because the investigation was so involved and delved so deeply into a particularly depraved well in the horse world, others were charged for crimes that were unearthed as part of the investigation. So, Ken Hansen, 61, is charged with three counts of murder. So, we talked about that before uh, in, I guess, when we were talking about the death of the sugar, the candy lady. Okay. Yeah, and so that was uh, another thing that came up. It was, uh, and I said we would not ever look at that one, but um, yeah, there was a case that had been closed since the 19, or not closed, an unsolved case since the 19, I think 50s, and they were able to solve it in the course of this investigation. (laughs) Yeah, three little boys. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, Richard Bailey, 65, his charge was racketeering, mail and wire fraud, money laundering, and crimes related to murder. So again, that was the candy heiress that we did in episode one of this hmm. year. Hmm. And then Victor Orina, head of the New York Colombo crime family, was convicted of racketeering and murder and received three life sentences, an additional six, 85 years. <laughs> So Tommy Burns now goes by the name of Tim Ray. (laughs) He lives in Florida where he owns a horse farm. He sells auto parts and has been very successful in his business. (laughs) Nancy Marder Banfield is the founder of Fountain Green Farm and owns Donnie Darko, who was ridden by Patty Stovall to a big win at the World Equestrian Center in Florida in the 2017 National Hunter Derby. James Druck, who first taught Tommy Burns how to kill horses, died of cancer in ni- early in 1990 in his 50s, just prior to these crimes coming to light. Hmm. Lisa Druck, who was 17 when her father had Tommy Burns kill her horse, Henry the Hawk, for insurance money, left riding behind following her horse's death. This death was the inspiration for the introduction of a Law and Order episode. Hmm. So We talked about that before. That's right. remember yeah. that one. Uh, Druck. Eventually changed her name to Riel Hunter, went on to work in the film industry, is said to have been the inspiration behind Brat Pack writer Jay McKinnery's 1988 novel, Story of My Life, and Druck famously had a child with U.S. Senator John Edwards during the 2008 Democratic Convention, while Edwards' wife was battling breast cancer, (laughs) a disease to which she eventually succumbed. Oh, dear. Yeah. So, Johnny Youngblood now goes by the name of Joni, and she is manager and trainer at Roundabout Farm. Mm. Tammy Gillespie now goes by the name of Tammy Bailenga Glaspie. Jerry Farmer died May second, two 2004 as a result of a car accident. At that time, he was running a successful show barn. So, all of these people stayed in the horse industry. Yeah. Well, they
0: had no other skills, yeah, really. So Still
1: trainers, and people still spending money with them. <laughs> Marion Hulick now lives in Massachusetts with her husband. Her family is still... It sounds still
0: in- like a lot of them changed their names and yes. probably changed locations and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. The background, you know. Yeah. And this yeah. is pre-internet, so mm-hmm. it's hard to know about the histories of people from this For time sure. period.
1: Yeah. So her family is still involved in the horse show world, and Marion breeds and shows French bulldogs. Hmm. Dana Tripp had her license revoked, that's her vet license, mm-hmm. and has since changed her name to Dana Waters, having married trainer Chuck Waters. So the Waters family run Waterworks Farms. Dana Tripp competes as an amateur owner in jumpers. Barney Ward sued the American Horse Show Association for $100 million <laughs> for giving him a lifetime ban.
0: Yeah. Did he, he win?
1: Nope. He died on October 27, 2012, of cancer at age 71. He had earlier that year campaigned on compassionate grounds unsuccessfully to be allowed to attend the Hong Kong Olympics to watch his son McLean compete. <laughs> His son's McLean Ward, who is a very still competing and doing very well. So Castle Hill Farms is now being run by Barney's son, McLean, a member of the U.S. Olympic show jumping team in 2004, 2008, 2016 and 2021. Uh, Ward brought home two team gold and two team silver medals. McLean Ward also won an individual gold at the Pan Am Games, and in April 2017 was ranked number one in the world in the Longines FEI World Ranking. Wow. McLean continues to try to rise above the legacy left by his father, as witnessed in the quote on his website, McLean Ward Official. So this is the quote. He says, we owe them our lives. They give us so much and they ask for only basic kindness in return. I believe horses and humans have a connection that draws us to each other. I believe in their own way, they know we need them, and they are pleased to be our partner, whether it be in work or sport. We need to remember to never take this privilege of working and living with horses for granted, to never lose our appreciation for what they have given us throughout the history of time, and to be sure that their relevance to our society does not fade away. This is our greatest responsibility as equestrians. The end.
0: Well I was thinking that when you're talking that part of <clears throat> part of this this is, is interesting because there's a generational thing too I think and that's a different view of of livestock you know so for people of our of our age or younger I think we have a more sentimental view of livestock than people who would would have been older than us would have grown up in mm-hmm. true rural life you know living with animals that were regularly harvested You know, and Mm -hmm. that was just part of life. So whether it was a horse or a cow or a pig or whatever, part of that life was that those animals were put down when they were no longer of use, Mm -hmm. you know, whether they were turned to food or whether they were just gotten rid of because you can't afford to keep them around. So that kind of easy go, easy come, easy go element of of that view of it would have, you know, been a big part of that life. So to these people, it's just getting rid of a problem. Yes. The fact that they're turning it into a criminal enterprise to get money out of it Mm -hmm. is, is, that's would have been the real crime in that people's view of that time period, if you know what I mean. Right? They wouldn't have thought anything of just getting rid of horses, like you know, because that was what people did. If you didn't want your horse anymore, someone came with a with a gun and they shot it in the head and they took it away. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. didn't matter what age the horse was. Yeah. It was a four year old yearling off the track. If you didn't want that horse anymore, yeah, someone would come and get rid of it for you. That's perfectly legal.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: What's illegal is to then claim yeah,
1: that, sure, that horse funny. with
0: a hole yeah. in its head is, as, as it fell mm-hmm. over. A, right. You know, fell down a hill and hurt itself and died. Then mm-hmm. that's the crime. So I think it is sort of generational. I think our, for us, it seems horrific because we we grew up with a different idea, a different view of of animals. You know, mm-hmm. than people of that of that time period and before that. You know, when it was working animals, and you know, and no one could afford to have an animals that weren't working. You know, if you grew up in those places, I mean, I know we're talking about people with seven hundred million dollars and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But it's still their viewpoint of. Animals, oh, for sure, yeah. You know, you know, there's that classic idea of, like, Bambi is having changed people's view of, you know, when they see Bambi's mother gets killed, it changes how you view hunting, mm-hmm. you know. And I think there's lots of changes that have happened over time that have changed how we view animals and how our relationship with them, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, for people like us, the idea of, like, getting rid of our horse because they're old and not being used anymore is untenable, mm-hmm. you know. But to someone who is maybe two generations older than us... That's what you did, you know, so
1: yes, that is true and and uh yeah, the horse world is is so tradition bound, so even when there are people of our generation because those people that came before them, that is what you do, mm-hmm. then that is what you did, that is what people continue to do, mm-hmm. so yeah, things become sort of tacitly accepted as the way it is yeah but, yeah, no, that is certainly true.
0: And I think that uh, let's not kid ourselves. This is still going on.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
0: It just might be. It might be more. It's just more complicated, or mm-hmm. it's just more cl- uh, sophisticated in how they do it now. You know. But it's still happening because yeah. it's money.
1: Yeah.
0: And money's money, so it doesn't matter if you have seven hundred million dollars in the bank. Adding another quarter million to that seems pretty pretty sweet, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And also, the son didn't have the seven hundred million dollars. He probably had to beg his dad for what he what he got. So.
1: Oh, yeah, the... um, Lindemann. Lindemann. Yeah. Yeah, and that was... um, I mean, I don't know. I I was reading that and I I realized it seemed like we skipped a whole bunch of stuff, but I thought we had gone over it really with the previous cases because they're all interrelated and it was just a huge, big investigation where all of a sudden they started finding all these things Mm -hmm. out. So I thought we would skip that. But the Lindemann one was interesting because... It was, I think, some ego involved there as well because there was George Lindemann, there was his sister, and then there was the trainer, and there was actually more than one trainer involved, and they'd got this horse, and it turns out George Lindemann, they were trying to show it as a hunter originally, mm-hmm. and he was never able to get it so that it would place well, Yeah, and it got really hot, and... um and then likewise his sister had the problems the horse the
0: horse got really hot
1: yeah the horse got like wanted to be too fast yeah, and yeah, yeah you know be a little bucky or whatever around the corners and his sister likewise i think it had originally been bought for her she also had trouble riding it but then these trainers would come in and they could you know get a championship or reserve championship with it and then Lindemann would get it back and he wouldn't be able to do anything with it even though he was trying to go to the olympics hmm. um, I mean, sometimes oh, yeah. your personality just doesn't sort of mesh with a horse. Yep. You, you know, there's a, when I was growing up, it was like you either rode the hot sort of horse, or you rode the cold sort of horse, and often you have a real preference one way or the other, and maybe it was just a case like that, because mm-hmm. he might have been riding more of the the bloods and this horse was more a hot thoroughbred type, but apparently Or maybe he
0: rode in a way that made them hot, too.
1: Yes, yeah, but yeah, apparently there seemed to be a lot of, like, ego became involved in it, and... Mm-hmm. One of the trainers talked about how um, they there was a storm coming and it was a lightning storm and he um, directed someone to leave the horse outside at nighttime um, in the hopes that it would get like hit by lightning um, mm. yeah he just became it very was pers- angry it's very it was yeah very personal angry yeah. resentful about this horse so yeah, there was a lot more to it than that and Mm -hmm. then he has completely left the show world now and I guess he's just living as a playboy um yeah I think in Florida or something Mm -hmm. like that so yeah yeah
0: Yeah, it's uh it's interesting also what a Pandora's box the murder of the candy lady opened as well because Uh almost all of this springs out of that murder which at the time must have seemed like well this is the best thing to do to get close this door and it'll never be opened yeah we won't have to worry because she'll be gone and then suddenly it is, it causes this huge house of cards to fall, or this dominoes to right. to start to fall, and and every everyone he everyone gets swept up in it. Mm-hmm. Not just not yeah. just the people that were possibly threatened by this scam, this fake horse scam. Uh, which I, that's what I assume it was, something like that, where they're like selling duds, right? They're just selling dead mm-hmm. horses to yeah. her as being as being uh, prize horses or whatever. And so, um, yeah. This simple idea of like, oh well, we'll just knock off this bump off this lady, and that will be the end of it. Mm-hmm. And then instead, it turns into like, yeah, into a big a big investigation because yeah. I guess up to that point there was like no no murder of a human, mm-hmm. you know, that seemed like it was connected to all this. Right. And so this gave gave the uh, authorities like a reason to
1: yeah, enough of a their cases, hold, yeah. yeah, yeah, to kind of get into.
0: Well, something to bring to their bosses and say, look, mm-hmm. this is a human being who's been killed. Because before that, they would just have been like, well, it's just a bunch of horses. What are we going to do? Like, right. you can't bring that to court. You can't put someone on trial for killing a horse. So, mm-hmm. shrug. But in this case, it's a person who got killed, mm-hmm. you know, so we really need to stop these people.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, and then next thing you know, this big, big, wide net, <laughs> you yeah. know, brings down a whole, a whole generation of trainers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. People that are just, you know, big and small. Yeah. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. And solved. Yeah solved old crimes and (laughs) netted a crime boss gangster so yeah
0: only person didn't get was that gene gene's no no he wasn't
1: he was i think he was long gone by the time oh okay so yeah yeah yeah. i think he he would have been involved in i mean it did sort of talk about them doing stuff like that Mm -hmm, certainly mm -hmm. but yeah yeah he was left out of it because he had passed by that time
0: yeah 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 it's very interesting all right. Well, thanks. Sir. That was kind of like, that was a good closer for the season because it's mm-hmm. like, it was like one of those sort of episodes in a TV show where a TV series where like, you know, all the, all the, all the just various sense. strands all yeah. come together and <laughs> get tied up into a bow at the end of the, end of the story. Yeah. So that's really fun. So I expect you to do this next, next season as well. Uh oh. <laughs> <There are> pre- <laughs> pressure's <No> pressure? on. <laughs> pressure's on. No, I demand it. <laughs> all right. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that story. I'm just going to, open up our reader mailbag because we did get a comment on our website from louise and i'm just gonna pop over there where we had a comment from louise and louise wrote to say it was fascinating to hear about the history of horse whisperers the phrase was big in the 1990s i'll say it was louise when i read the book and saw the movie adaptation of the horse whisperer in 1998 i remember the time some horse experts were critical about the scene where the trainer has the traumatized horse hobbled and down on the ground and has the traumatized girl sit on it so they both get over their fears. It worried me less in the novel since you only see it in your imagination, unlike with the film where you can see it enacted with a real horse. But you have to give both book and movie credit for their literal and metaphorical message of getting back on the horse that threw you, and got hit by a semi, she adds in, uh, a <laughs> semi. What am I, an American? The girl's name is Grace, and her mount's name is Pilgrim, Names which, if you ask me, are a little on the bracket horse's bracket nose. What do, you, do you remember that scene from the movie or from the book?
1: The, the beginning scene?
0: Is this the beginning scene? Yeah. Not, not the horse getting killed, but the girl sitting on the horse.
1: Oh, I do not remember that so much, no. Hmm.
0: Didn't uh, Im, didn't impact you the way it impacted Yeah, did.
1: no, I remember the scene of the horse getting hit, but not so much in the movie either. More in the book. It was very well written in okay. the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That seems a little off-putting. The best part of the movie is the relationship between the characters played by Robert Redford, the then-14-year-old Scarlett Johansson, and the horse. The screenplay watered down the romance between the trainer and the girl's mother, probably to keep Redford's character more noble and reflective of the wholesome values of ranch life in rural America. (laughs) Wholesome ranch life. (laughs) But as Jimmy Carter would say, they lusted in their hearts. Back then, movies like The Prince of Tides, 1991, And The Bridges of Madison County, 1995, were saying it was okay to have a restorative, extramarital affair, especially if the characters are played by big award-winning stars. At the time, the casting in The Horse Whisperer seemed a little familiar to me, and clearly stacked with Oscar bait. As the down-to-earth, rugged, romantic hero, you have Robert Redford, Out of Africa, 1985. As his upper-class, Married Paramount, you have Kristen Scott Thomas, The English Patient, 1996. Who better to cheat on than Sam Neill? The Piano, 1983. Who better to have as your sister-in-law than Diane Weist? Hand and Her Sisters, 1986. That is Oscar stacked. Holy cow! That's when you knew you were watching a premium movie in the 90s. Is when okay. I had that kind of uh, kind of actors attached to it. But those were the sort of things that uh, big big agencies like CAA could put together as a package to oh, make okay. a movie seem palatable to the studios. You just sort of hand delivered like a, a you know a basically like the Oscar stage to the to the uh, the studio and they went oh I think we can get this movie made <laughs> that's good so thank you Louise for that letter that's great I'm glad that we uh, made I'm glad that the movie part of it was interesting to you and I think interesting because yeah it's one of those sort of words that has a lot of resonance to it but I don't think people know what it's describing per se mm-hmm. you know this sort of, sort of and I think the magical idea of it is more attractive than it than the practical part of it. You know. But anyway, we'll have to see what people think about this story. So please write in if you have some thoughts, or and or comments, and or feelings. Maybe just a simple goodbye, everyone, for for the for the time being. Au revoir. We'll see you again. Uh, you can write to our website at sneakydragon.com. There you'll find this episode, of course, Whisperer season two episode eight and you are welcome to leave a comment there and we'll read it out uh, at the beginning of next season you can also go to facebook we now we now have a a page there called Hor- uh, horse mysteries and so you're welcome to go there and leave comments not really but this is it's just good to be to finally do it <laughs> um or you can go to uh where else can you go you can go to Twitter if you want, uh, Sneaky Dragons there at Sneaky underscore Dragon. You're welcome to leave comments here as well. So we really have appreciated everyone's emails and comments through the last couple seasons. So yes, please keep on writing to us. And also, please take a moment, if you wouldn't mind, to subscribe to the show or to read, uh, sorry, to write a review or leave a star, a star, a couple stars or five if you prefer. We prefer five uh, on your podcasting service of choice. There we go, everyone. So it's been a pleasure talking with you or talking to you or talking at you for the last eight episodes. And we will be back in a couple months. Next year. Next year. <laughs> with our, yeah, I guess next year, that's right. Yeah. With the next season. Do we have an idea what the next, show, the next episode will be called dear?
1: I do not. Sorry. I've got six written already, but I don't know which one's going to go first.
0: Okay. Well, that's fine. You know, just so long as they all tie together perfectly. Mm-hmm. That's all I care about. Through like all through all eight episodes,
1: <laughs> not much chance of that.
0: <laughs> all right, everyone, thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Take care, and we'll see you next year. Bye.
1: Bye bye. <laughs>